Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And just like that, we're back, we are loaded, and I am, as usual, so happy that you're with us here. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate, host of The Late Kick on 24-7 Sports YouTube, three nights a week, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. We are coming off the highest trafficked show in the brief history of Late Kick at 24-7. Stands to reason, the season is here now, but thank you nonetheless for watching in mass Sunday night. Got another show coming up tonight if you're listening Tuesday. And if you're listening after Tuesday, don't worry, we got one coming up Thursday too with full look ahead to week five slash week two in the SEC. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast though. In addition to what we do on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, which can also be found in replay form here, we do two podcasts per week that are just mailbag. And it's everything you guys are talking about. It's everything you're asking about. You can send them to me in email, joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can submit questions right below all episodes of Late Kick Live. There's a pinned comment. You can reply to that one. Or you can or you can follow me on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. I strongly encourage that. Put out one of our five best bets the other day on Twitter. That line since moved from 11 to 14. Sometimes I put them out there because I don't want to wait for the show. So, at Late Kick Josh, you can also DM me on Twitter. As I said, we are jam-packed. Uh, we're going to be jam-packed until January and beyond. Just a little spoiler alert there. So thank you so much for listening. Now here's what I wanted to do, and this is kind of going to be the theme as we're in the season. I probably had 37 people ask some version of, well, what happened to Ed Orgeron? Or what's next for LSU? Or are you downplaying Mississippi State? All valid questions. So let's get into this and kind of, I'll just, instead of reading the individual questions, know that I saw all your questions and I'm rolling them up into one big snowball of terribleness for LSU Saturday and wonder for Mississippi State. Here's kind of the way that I want to go about this. If you watched Late Kick Live or you watched the replay videos or the individual videos, you kind of already got the reaction. So this is not a reaction show. I want to push ahead a little bit. Let's start with Ed Orgeron and LSU. Uh, it, probably a little bit troubling. I mean, no doubt if you're an LSU fan to see what happened sun, or Saturday, but what I pointed out the other night, and I kind of want to reiterate to set the scene here, it's not so much they lost, it's the lack of adjusting defensively. I'm not a coordinator by any stretch. I'm not about to do a chalk talk session with you, but it was a little bit troubling to listen to football-minded people. I spoke to a number of them, especially defensively afterwards, and said, hey, what do you think about that? And they said, you see this stuff that Bo Pelini was doing in the first quarter? Because here he is doing it in the fourth quarter. And so nothing really changed there. And, you know, Ed Orgeron himself has since kind of confirmed that. He said, well, Bo was one of the first people to find me after the game. And he said, here's everything I did wrong. I got to do better. So that's troubling. I don't know if troubling is the right word. I'll circle back to all this as a theme in a second. But the other thing that I pointed out the other night on the show, and I want to reiterate, is there were a lot of things 
last year that made Ed Orgeron look so prophetic. Everything he said came true. Everything he touched turned to gold. It's what it felt like in 2019. Well, that kind of gave him a lot of credibility, obviously, with me included. And so when you heard him in this offseason leading into the 2020 year, when you heard him say things, and those things were maybe dealing with Miles Brennan or those things maybe dealing with the fact that he thought definitively they were in a better position defensively now than they were when Dave Aranda was there. When he was saying those things, you you just kind of had a tendency to give him benefit of the doubt because of last year. I think that's natural. I don't think anyone should feel foolish for having done that. But then you turned on the game, didn't you? Just like I did. And you saw Miles Brennan. This is a one-game sample size. Don't make it anything more than that. But you saw Miles Brennan look hmm, very confused and uh, very hesitant and obviously very indecisive. That, that in and of itself is not shocking. What's shocking is we were led to believe he may be much further along than that. The other part, defensively, not even close. Uh, Derek Stingley was out. Glenn Logan was out. They had guys out. Not close. It, it, independent of whoever was out in this game, not close. And so that that was just a flat-out misleading idea. I will put it that way for LSU's defense. Now I want you to think about this. I was kind of tossing this around as I was setting up the show this morning. You know, it could be that Miles um, Brennan has looked good in practice because going against the unit that I saw Bo Pelini put on the field Saturday in a secondary sense, I don't know that it'd be all that difficult to look good against that unit. So it may be that that's what's fooled everyone in LSU's camp. But that's in the past. Moving forward, what happens here? I'm going to get to State in just a second. I think that the LSU loss Saturday and the coming season afterwards, weeks 2 through 10 in the SEC, could be a little bit of a microcosm of what you're going to see at a number of places. Now, I cannot pinpoint where they're going to be. There is no historical data point for this year. There is no, well, remember that 1968 season when we had that pandemic and everything was shot in the off season, and then we had to kind of start from scratch late and you know everyone was kind of getting their feet under it. Well, we've never seen that before. So everyone's learning at the same time here. There's no historical data point to look back on and know what to expect. But I will tell you what I expect. I expect that there are going to be some teams that end up really good that have looked really bad. And that's about as basic as I can say it. I remember that year, 2016, I want to say it was, when Clemson won a national championship. They went on to win the national title. And they lost to Pitt the same season. And I remember how people looked at that loss. And I remember people saying, I knew Clemson was fraudulent. Well, they weren't that fraudulent because they won a national title. But the point is, people looked back on it and they said, remember that loss to Pitt? Can you believe this same team here that beat Alabama in the national title game? Can you believe that that's the team that lost to Pitt? Well, it wasn't the team that lost to Pitt. I just want to kind of lay out how I view a team. I view a team as 12 versions, or in this case, 10 versions of a program. A program is much bigger than a team, but you don't get the same teams every Saturday either. You get 10, in this case, 10 versions of LSU. In that season, you got 12 versions plus postseason of Clemson. You're going to have the worst version of yourself one week. You're going to have the best version of yourself one week. 
And then everything in between is kind of the sandwich that makes up your season. I, I'm hopeful for LSU that we just saw the worst version of them. I think it stands to reason we probably saw the worst version of a lot of teams in week one. How high could your ceiling be? I think disproportionately higher than what it would normally be relative to what you were in week one. I hope that makes sense. So LSU looked terrible in a lot of facets in week one. I do not believe that the overall fate of LSU in 2020 is just terrible. What I do think is not all teams are ready to play. In fact, I went as far as to tell you on the Sunday Night Late Kick Live episode, I didn't even view LSU as a team yet. A lot of people took that the wrong way, which I expected, even though I tried to lay out what I meant. I didn't mean it in any kind of disrespectful way. I didn't mean it in questioning the integrity or the character of anyone down there. I meant I think it is quite literally impossible for Ed Orgeron to have had his football team come together yet. And I had some Mississippi State fans, understandably so, push back and say, what do you mean? Mississippi State's gone through the same stuff as LSU has. No, you haven't. I'm telling you, you haven't. You've gone through the same pandemic they have. You have a new head coach and staff in place. So in that sense, you've gone through more in that particular compartment than LSU has. But I'm telling you behind the scenes, LSU has gone through 10 off seasons worth of you know what. It was my biggest concern, remains my biggest concern, I guess, because it was validated in week one for LSU, which was, are they going to be a football team? Had the same concern about Tennessee. I thought so much had happened in the offseason that the minimum baseline requirement for what it takes to have a group of individuals become a team had not had time to happen. I don't think it's happened at LSU yet. I think you saw a product on the field for them in week one that would be the equivalent of where they'd be at in late spring or maybe early fall camp. You're not ready to play football at that point. You got the same players who are going to be on your roster who eventually are going to contend for the SEC in any given year. But if you were to put them on the field at those points, that looked bad. LSU looked bad Saturday. So I talked about all that. And then I had a lot of people, predictably from the state side of things, say, well, you're, you're discrediting our win. You're taking away from our win. Uh, you're just saying they lost it. We didn't win it. Well, no, I'm not. Uh, this is not an all or nothing. This is not a 100-0. Uh, the two, two or three or four things could be true at a given time. And at least two of them are true here. LSU, there were several contributing factors independent of anything in Maroon that cost them a game. And yet you went in there and took it to them. All of this is true. All of it's true. So now let's switch to the state side of things. K.J. Costello was so phenomenal. I was very impressed with the fact that one of the programs that you probably wrote off as least likely to be ready to go from Bell 1 was ready to go from Bell 1. I mean, there's no logical reason why Mike Leach should be able to walk into the SEC in Starkville, Mississippi, new quarterback as well. So it knew everything. Everything's new. And be able to go on the road and perform like that. There's no logical reason for that. And so what do you do? You tip your cap to them. You clap for them. You are in awe of them. That was very, very incredible to watch. So what I wonder moving forward, Saturday is Saturday, it's done. Moving forward, what I wonder is when I watch the manner with which they were able to dissect LSU, and to be honest with you, if Mike Leach were honest with you, which he doesn't have a problem doing. I think he kind of kind of said something along these lines Saturday. 
I think what they were able to do was a lot easier than they thought it was going to be able to be done at. So what I say that for is not to take away anything from Saturday. A lot of times when I'm talking, when I'm doing these shows, I'm not so much trying to explain a game. I'm not so much trying to make excuses for anything. I'm thinking in forward mode. I'm thinking about how what we saw impacts future games. So you got to understand, when I'm talking about those sorts of things within the context of Mississippi State, I'm not trying to discredit anything you did. I'm trying to look ahead and say, is that duplicable? Is what we saw them do Saturday going to be duplicated against Auburn or Georgia or Alabama? Because if it's not, I don't really care about it past last Saturday. If it is going to be able to be duplicated, then all of a sudden we've got a very, very big surprise contender on our hands here in Mississippi State. And I don't know is my point, but I look back at what they were able to do Saturday and I look at the press man across the board and I look at the inability or unwillingness in the mind of Bo Pelini, new defensive coordinator at LSU, to switch to any kind of pattern matching or zone schemes. And I think to myself, um, everyone else going to do that? I don't think so. Uh, Bo Pelini coached that thing like he was stuck in 2007. The last time he was down here, last time he was a defensive coordinator, that's how they played, and there was a reason for it. No one threw the ball like this. No one. You've got a point now where even LSU tries to throw the ball like that. Maybe not to that extent. They had over like they had over 600 passing yards and 10 to 15 rushing yards when you account for sack yardage. So that was yeah, that was pretty extreme. My point is, let's let things calibrate a little bit. And then let's revisit what everyone's saying about the air raid taking over the SEC and SEC not being able to handle this and Mike Leach about to do all that. I don't know that I've drawn any of those conclusions after week one. Fascinating goings on, though, in the SEC West. I looked at Lane Kiffin and what they did, even in a loss against Florida. I look at Mike Leach and what they did in a resounding win against LSU. And I thought to myself, where is the, where's the easy out over there? Where's the layup over there? You look at Ohio State schedule, for example, and there are four games, five games you circle and go, okay, well, they're, they're four touchdown favorite here, 24 and a half point favorite there. And there are going to be games where Alabama's favored by three touchdowns against teams. But the thing about it is those teams are going to be able to score big numbers potentially. Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels, you're not, you're not holding them to single digits. That's not happening. Mike Leach, Mississippi State, ditto. And that's even if you're favored big against them. I don't know that there's an easy win over there. Where is it? I don't know. If you find it, let me know. So another thing that a lot of you wanted to talk about, and this kind of has played out since we did the Sunday night show, was Georgia, who goes on the road, and what a tale of two halves that was. And they beat Arkansas. In the end, they beat him going away. I think 37 to 10 was the final. And there are quarterback issues there. Stetson Bennett came in in replacement of Dewan Mathis Saturday and ended up steadying things, riding the ship, and they ended up getting on the scoreboard a comfortable win. There wasn't a whole lot of comfort in Georgia Nation when they were leaving Fayetteville, Arkansas. You could hear it in everyone's voice. You could hear it in Kirby Smart's voice. And Stetson Bennett you would presume was going to be the starting quarterback this Saturday when they play Auburn at home. Well, then we get a headline yesterday that JT Daniels has been cleared medically. And where did we get the headline from? Was there a leak? 
Did a team doctor hold a press conference? No. It came from the most unlikely of sources, but the most reliable of sources. And that would be Kirby Smart, head coach, University of Georgia. If you don't know, JT Daniels, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do know, but there may be a few. JT Daniels, a former USC quarterback, started as a freshman, got hurt, got bypassed, transferred, comes to Georgia in the offseason when they already have Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman, no longer there. He opted out. Looked like it was going to be JT Daniels' job, but there was this pesky, lingering issue of rehabbing his knee, and he had not been cleared medically, so he couldn't start the season. So Dewan Mathis seemingly comes out of nowhere, wins the starting job. He's out before halftime Saturday, deer in headlights. And Stetson Bennett, here he comes. Stetson Bennett, program guy, runs scout team for him, does a phenomenal job. Everyone there loves him. He gets his shot and he wins a game on the road for Georgia. And so he looked to be the starter this Saturday. And now JT Daniels has been cleared, and you hit the reset button. And now you ask, okay, well, how does that impact Saturday? Good question. We're going to talk about that a lot more tonight, but I do just want to present this. I had this idea, and I was hoping that no one else picked up on it, but unfortunately they did. And it was the guys over at Dogs 24-7. I was listening to Jake and Kip talk about this, and they had the exact same reaction I did. My reaction was not, oh, good, JT Daniels is cleared, because we knew that was coming at some point. We didn't know the exact day and time, but we knew it was coming. That wasn't my reaction, friends. My reaction was, what is Kirby Smart doing? What's he, what's he doing? Now, I'm not saying that in the context a lot of you did yesterday. When this announcement came down, a lot of you said, oh, how convenient. They struggle in week one, and now, magically, the quarterback's healthy. He's cleared. I know that everyone loves to traffic in conspiracy theory, and maybe it's true sometimes. It's not true there. There's nothing to do with their performance in week one and him being cleared for week two. Nick Saban or whoever you think is the most powerful head coach in college football 2020, doesn't have that power, much less Kirby Smart or anyone else. They don't have that power. In 1964, maybe they had the power. Maybe they'd strong arm that team doctor, and then maybe they'd say, okay, let's get him cleared. Hey, wink, wink, he's going to be good to go Saturday. That's not the way this works now. Do you understand the reign of lawsuit terror that would come down on you. If you even attempted to do that, everyone knows that. Every coach knows that. They don't even venture into those waters. Now, they may act aggravated if a guy can't be cleared, but they know not to overstep their bounds. There are entire seminars done on this stuff. You have your career and life threatened as a coach if you ever attempt to interfere with medical practice and medical procedure. No one does that. No one would ever do it. Today, let me stress today. I don't care what's going on in the past. So JT Daniels is cleared because a doctor saw fit to clear him. And that's it and that's all there. But what I am reacting to is the fact that Kirby Smart told you and told me. He never does that. Ever. This is a guy who couldn't care less if you know the status of his players or the status of anything. Because his theory, I'm not critical of him because I'd probably be the same way, is you'll find out Saturday. I don't owe it to you. This is not the NFL. They don't make me tell you. So why would I tell you? Because if I tell you, I'm telling my opponent. But he volunteered the information this time. It, no one even asked him. He said, uh, hello, hello. Is this thing on? Doom, doom, doom. Uh, JT Daniels is cleared. Yeah, he's ready to play. All right, I'll take questions now. 
Does that strike anyone as strange? It sure did strike me as strange. You know what it said to me? I don't know. I don't have any of this firsthand. This is strictly speculation on my point, or on my part. I don't know that JT Daniels is ready to start Saturday, by any stretch. What I think is, I think Kirby Smart looked at the situation and said, Stetson Bennett's probably got to start for us. We don't know how limited we are going to be with him. In fact, maybe we do know. Maybe we will be pretty limited. I know he looked good Saturday, and I know all of you love him. Let me be crystal clear in my opinion on Stetson Bennett. He does work his tail off. He has earned everything he's gotten. He does scratch and claw and fight. He is the kind of guy who is integral to and the glue of a program. All of that's true. But you know what else is true? He is not the guy to win an SEC championship at Georgia. Let me be crystal clear on that. So all the accolades you guys have been throwing at him are true. This is not the Boy Scouts. This is not whoever makes you feel the best and feel all warm and fuzzy inside. That No, when you've been shut out in the first half against Alabama in a couple of weeks because he can't move the ball, those good feelings subside. That stuff does not matter. Winning matters. And who can win for you? That's what matters. And I don't think Stetson Bennett can win at the highest level for them. I feel I, I'm over the moon happy for the guy, but I don't think he can win at a high level for them. Kirby Smart probably looks at it and thinks the same thing and says, what kind of edge can we gain against Auburn? Because we could lose this game Saturday. I mean, we could lose to Tennessee. We could lose to Alabama. We can, all these games are losable. We're favored. We're the better team, but this is losable. Gamesmanship is what I think that's about. And that is making Auburn prepare for as much as you could possibly make them prepare for. So let's float it out there. JT Daniels is healthy. He is cleared. That's the only thing I could think. And if Kirby Smart made that announcement Monday, and sure enough, he trots JT Daniels out there to start Saturday, I'll just come to you and say I was wrong. Again, this is not any information that I'm being given. I don't know. I think, I think it's going to be pretty tough to gain information out of there this week. But that's just the first way it struck me is, what is he talking about? Why in the world, thank you, but why in the world did he just reveal that? Now, I do think we may see him Saturday, but I don't know that he would be penciled in as my starter immediately. But again, could be wrong there. We'll see. Ride that fence. When in doubt, ride that fence. Uh, Cole submitted this question. How long do you think it'll take the Ole Miss defense to get back to what it was in 2014 and 2015, or at the very least competitive? Do you realistically, if ever, think that Lane Kiffin can have Ole Miss back to a 7-9 to nine win team? Cole, you just said a lot, brother. 7-9 to nine wins, there's a big difference. They only play 12 games on average. So you just had a quarter season variance in your question and prediction there. Yeah, I think you could get them to 7 wins per year range. I think it'd be very difficult to get Ole Miss to a nine-win-per-year caliber program. Understand the difference. There are teams who sometimes win nine games at a program that is not nine-win caliber. Texas is a good example of this. They went to the Sugar Bowl a couple of years ago. Texas program at that point was not a New Year's Six caliber program. It just so happens that the bounce of the ball and the stars aligned, and there were a lot of other factors that were removed from their path, and they ended up in a New Year's Six game. They were not a New Year's Six caliber team, program, my bad, program, where the program is, is bigger than 
what any one team in a given year does. I hope that makes sense. To some people it doesn't, but I don't know how much more thoroughly to explain it. So Ole Miss, if you're asking me if they can float at a nine-win caliber level for an extended period of time, that'd be really hard to do. And here's the catch-22. If Lane Kiffin has Ole Miss at nine wins per year, Lane Kiffin's probably not at Ole Miss. I mean, do we really believe that Lane Kiffin is putting down roots in Oxford, Mississippi? I don't get that sense. Uh, I know that's not fun to hear, but as for the defense, 2014-2015, well, since we have learned how that team was put together. So, you're going to have to go about it a different way than that, obviously. Secondly, that was the big question that I was taking away from Saturday with Ole Miss. With Florida, I was wondering how that win and how that offense looked could impact them in recruiting. But with Ole Miss, obviously they're not going to be hurting for points, My biggest question was, how quickly can they overhaul that defensive roster through recruiting, through transfers? How quickly can they do that? Because that'll determine, really, the answer to your question there, Cole. You know, Jeff gave a really, really good question about a team that's not even playing yet, but it has to do directly with teams that are playing right now and what we may see from that team because of what we learned from teams that are playing. I hope I haven't been unclear. We'll talk about that right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So as I mentioned, Jeff asked a question about Ohio State. He said, I watched LSU struggle somewhat unexpectedly Saturday, and I've seen a lot of other teams like Oklahoma look terrible Should I be concerned at all about all the hype and expectations being put on my Buckeyes at Ohio State when maybe they end up suffering the same fate? Jeff, I think it's right for anyone to be concerned about the unknown, but man, oh man, oh man, you'd be very hard-pressed to ever shake a magic eight ball and show me the future and me see Ohio State struggling against Nebraska, for example, in week one in the fourth quarter. That would surprise me. Wouldn't shock me. I don't. I think it's ignorant to allow yourself to be shocked by anything this year, but it would surprise me. And I'm going to tell you why. I don't think. Oh, I don't think Ohio State ever hit the pause button. In fact, I know they didn't. They were very outward about it. And I think a lot of other programs in the Big Ten did. I think a lot of folks. I've tried to make it metaphorical because I mean, you know, that's the language everyone speaks. It, it, I'm, I was talking to Trey Scott here. We were actually recording for another podcast when all this was going on, and it looked like the Big Ten may be coming back. And I said, Treywick, because as we know, that's his full name, Treywick, I'm going to tell you what the big problem is. I'm going to tell you why a lot of people up there seem hesitant. Not all of them are ready. 
It's as if you were training for Mr. Olympia, or in this case, a college football season, and then you got a call and they said, hello there, uh, sorry to inform you, but your spot has been taken. There will be no Mr. Olympia this year for you. And you've been eating chicken breast and broccoli every day for four meals, and so you are very deflated and you're so sad. But in your sadness, the first thing you do is you drive right down the road to Taco Bell and you order four Chalupa Supremes and a bunch of um, those little cinnamon twisty things, and you get the biggest Mountain Dew they have, and you just kind of let yourself go. And then you probably go get your pizza the next day, and it's just, you kind of say, all right, well, if I'm not headed to Mr. Olympia, then there's no reason to continue training like I was when I was on the road to Mr. Olympia. Because if I'm not headed towards Mr. Olympia, then only an insane person would choose to live that way. Same way you have to be to get ready for a college football season. Here's the problem. When the Big Ten told them, hey, we're canceled, some teams, I get the distinct impression, went to Taco Bell. And some teams ordered the pizza. Ohio State, they're the one maniac who said, who cares? Chicken breast and broccoli every day anyway. And guess what happened? (laughs) Somebody called a week and a half later and said, hey, hey, I know it's short notice, but we got a spot open for Mr. Olympia. You want in? Ohio State said, absolutely. And then some of those other teams on the front-facing side said, yeah, all right, Big Ten, woo. But behind the scenes, they looked around, and they were fat. They were fat. They're out of shape. They're not ready. And worst of all is they were already going to get kicked in the head by Ohio State. And now you have the added horror of Ohio State having never let their foot off the gas, and maybe you did a little bit. And that is why... I do not expect Ohio State to struggle all that much when Big Ten season rolls around. If they have their version of OU melting down to Kansas State, I will eat my words, but I do not believe that will happen. All right, Shane had a good question, and I'm glad he asked because I would have absolutely forgotten to address this. Shane said, I heard you say on the Sunday night Late Kick Live show that you thought your model was right about the Auburn-Kentucky game even though your model had Auburn winning by less than the spread, and they covered the spread. So I'm not being sarcastic. I really want to know what you meant by that. It's a good question, because I forget sometimes, most people don't live in this world. Most people just live in the world of, I'm a fan, I'm going to watch this game, and the final score is the final score. And if you predicted one thing, and that thing doesn't happen, then you were wrong. If the thing does happen, you were right. Yeah, that's true. So I want you I want to slowly lay out what I'm talking about. When I say model, what I mean is a statistical and data-based model where any game, Auburn versus Kentucky in week 1 for example, we simulated in that model 1000 times. And the entire purpose for that model is to spit out a zero turnover variance final score. So zero turnover variance means this. All the stuff that we put in that model, we think is predictive. We think that there is skill, at least somewhat of a skill in properly weighting those stat categories and those analytics. Turnover, there is no skill there. Turnovers are completely random occurrences. Now, in any given year, there's going to be some team that is better and more benefiting from turnovers, and one team's going to suffer more from it. But in a given year, in a given week, there is no way to predict that. You could be plus 20 turnovers on the season. I could be minus 20 on the season. And when we play, 
I could be plus one turnovers against you. No model would have predicted that, is my point. So we don't predict turnovers. Every final score that our model spits out is with an even turnover battle. There is no turnover differential, no turnover margin taken into account. So our model the other day had Auburn winning the game by four points. Auburn was favored by seven to seven and a half. They won the game by 16 points. Our model thought they would win by four points. So I went on the show the other night because someone came in the comment section and said, oh, your model got this wrong. And I actually said, no, it didn't. Actually, I think I really love the way our model performed on this game. It gave us exactly what we got. And that person, and I understand in retrospect, said, well, you're an idiot. Uh, No, it didn't because they won by 16 and you said four. Uh, So they won by like four times the amount you thought they'd win by. Mathematically, that's true. But now let me explain to you what happened. What happened was Kentucky was minus three turnovers. And again, we're, we're, not t- we're talking about the ability to predict here, not explaining the game. Auburn won the game. Auburn should have won the game. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how the model performed. So the model is saying Auburn wins by four. They win by 16. I'm saying the model got it right. How could that be? Here's how. Kentucky is minus three turnovers. So Auburn is plus three turnovers. We value, for our model's purposes, a turnover in a college football game as being worth about four and a half points. Now, there are varying opinions on that, and this is a very broad-based explanation. With some teams, we value it more than others. But in a very general sense, we value a turnover in college football as being worth four and a half points apiece. Auburn had plus three turnovers. So do the math. Four and a half times three. What is it? Yes, 13 and a half. Correct answer. So we take the 16 points they won by and we subtract the 13 and a half and we get to two and a half because that is what our model looks at that final score as. It's worth Auburn winning by two and a half. Our model saw Auburn winning by four, so it was right in line. Our model very well understood what it should expect in that game if turnovers weren't an issue. Turnovers, of course, are an issue in a football game. But that is something that there's no skill in forecasting. So our model, when it comes to all the stuff that there's some skill in forecasting, nailed the game. Now, you may also say, okay, but that doesn't make sense to me because you say it was right, but yet obviously it missed. So if you would have bet a lot of money on what that model was saying you should expect in the Auburn-Kentucky game, you would have lost money, right? Yes, you would have. But over the long haul you would have benefited from using this model's logic. I'll give you an example. If you want to go anecdotal on me, uh, that model on games that we actually wagered on Saturday didn't lose a single game. We went 4-0-1. And I did a little bit better than that behind the scenes. And the point is, you don't ever judge the effectiveness of a model over a one-game span or one Saturday or even one month. This stuff is meant to give you a positive ROI year over year. When you get hundred, hopefully hundreds of games for a sample size, you find out. When you end up looking at it and say, oh man, this thing is 56.1% against the spread this year. Well, that difference there, that, that 4 or 5% above the minimum baseline you need to be percentage-wise against the number in order to profit, that's the difference. So that's the little bitty microscopic edge that you're hoping to give yourself. And I think sometimes the confusion comes when I'll go on air after a game like Auburn, Kentucky, and I'll say, oh, no, the model got it right here. 
sometimes, and this is my fault, I forget a lot of you couldn't care less about the point spread aspect of this stuff and the betting aspect of this stuff. Some of you don't care about that. So it just sounds like I'm a complete fool. And maybe it does anyway, independent of this. But if it sounds like I'm a fool because of this, it's only because you and I are on different wavelengths. We're not talking necessarily about the same thing. It's possible for a model to predict the wrong side in a game and have been right. It's also possible for it to predict the right side of a game and have been wrong. Because I can tell you right now, I will promise you, had my model said Auburn minus nine in that game and they won by 16, I'd look at that model and say, we got problems. And the common person would say, what do you mean? It passed with flying colors. It said Auburn would cover and they did. That's not a good thing. Not a good thing. When you do the simple equation that I just told you, when Auburn's, my, when Auburn's plus three turnovers and they win by 16, uh, you, you got to subtract that 13 and a half, as I said, it would tell you the model was well off on that game. So common person would say, you should be happy you won. No, I'd look at it and say, uh, no, I'm unhappy. Despite the fact that I won in the short term here, long term, that's a bad sign. Conversely, the model actually spit out a loser in this game, but it made me feel very confident in it moving forward. All right, we have got a really, really big show coming up tonight. Let me give you a quick backstory on the way that we lay our show out. Sunday night, obviously, is a lot of reaction, and it's a lot of kind of big picture, zoom it out a little bit, what does this mean for the future, as well as reaction. I also give you our first best bet of the week of our eventual five-pack in the Ramen Noodle Express. That's our philosophy on Sunday nights. Our philosophy is it doesn't matter how much you've read on Twitter. It doesn't matter how much you've heard in post-game interviews. You haven't heard the final story until you watch our show Sunday night. But by Tuesday, when everyone else is in transition mode, we're in full-on next Saturday prediction mode. And so tonight, for example, if you're listening to this Tuesday, tonight on Late Kick Live, we will be predicting and breaking down games for this coming Saturday. We don't wait until Thursday or Friday to do it. We do it in the middle of the week. Part of the reason I do that is because I don't want to be influenced by hearing anyone else's prediction. And the second part is I want to give you as much time as possible to consume the content. I want us to be at the forefront of the industry's generation of conversation for the next week's games instead of just blending into it or being at the tail end of it. And by Thursday, we have time to do all sorts of fun things. So tonight... If you haven't watched Late Kick Live, tune in live. You can watch the replay too, but tune in live. We had record viewership the other night. Really appreciate that. So tune in live tonight. It is the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. We had a lot of subscribers Sunday night. If you haven't already, subscribe there. It helps us in a lot of ways. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't change anything, but it helps us. It helps us with analytics and tracking and whatnot. Not you. It helps us track the progress that we're making. So thank you so much for all that. Uh, Jordan is about to cut this thing up and get it out to you as soon as I send it to him. So thank you so much. Leave us a five-star review. If you haven't already, we're about to cross 700. We want to get to 1,000. Do that. Continue to submit your questions. If I didn't get to them today, I will get to them. And if not, I will answer you privately. Don't worry. I'm still getting to all of them. It's getting harder and harder, but that's a good thing. So for Jordan on the podcast editing side of things... I'm Josh Pate on the good old-fashioned talking side of things. We'll see you later tonight on Late Kick Live. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and God bless.